Yeah, so we've just gone on a road trip, finally. I need to get out of the city. Yeah, still connected to the phone, but left the laptop at home. Yeah, I just have my mini laptop, my iPad that I've made, (laughs) fashioned into a mini version of my MacBook. Workstation. I like using that because I just use it to do writing and I don't really use it for anything else. Semi-disconnected. We weren't really disconnected at all. Well, it's just nice to see different landscapes. Like, I think that's what I love about being on the road. This is going to sound so corny, but it's not even about the destination. It is about the drive. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, my favorite landscape. No, the drive is the journey. But, you know, it's more about the the landscapes. When I'm looking out the window, you know, like a dog with its head out the window with the tongue wagging. It's like that feeling of I'm just seeing, like, farmlands and golden plains. I don't know why the world is so fixated on creating these driverless cars there's a sense of achievement when you drive somewhere long long distance obviously it's tiring but it's like a workout my favorite mode of transport is um catching like long-haul trains like do you like the driverless car idea I don't think I would like it on a road. Like, I like the romanticism of a train. There was this one episode of Round the Twist. I don't know if you've seen it. The one where Linda or whatever, like, it's the one where the eucalyptus leaves. You know, the one where it made her nose really big? Yeah. And, like, they'd whistle on the eucalyptus thing and then she goes on this train. It might have been Puffing Billy. But I just remember that, like, particular episode. And I was like, wow, that train, like, Mm. it's taking her into the bush. Like, she's going into the wild. And I just remember, like, clutching onto that. I also, like, grew up in Burnley, so, like, catching the train was just a thing that I did with my mom and catching the trams and stuff. So I have, like, a thing for public transport in that way. Where I grew up, there used to be trains that would come through town. When I got older, they stopped the trains coming through. But when I was, like, four, I was so excited when these trains would come in and I would stand down at the rail at the tracks and be like, wow, there's a train. And then I would like wave at the train. Like, what's his name? Francis Bourgeois. Yeah. That's why when he became a big thing, I was like, this is literally childlike behavior, not in a dis way, in a way that I'm like, wow, he's really. Like an envious way. He's really getting tickled by this. You know, when someone's like stuck in their childhood, it's almost from kind of trauma. <laughs> what's he stuck in? Why is he so stuck in his childlike wonder of trains? I wonder. I don't think he's stuck. I think he's like romanticizing it. Like he's, he's performing, but also I think it's like he's tapping into the innermost. I don't you know. think he's performing when it comes to the reaction. Though. No, I think he's like. That part feels Well, like strangely... you are performing if you're putting a camera on you. You know what I mean? That's like true. He, true. he isn't acting like that most of the time and he's not at the train station all the time. Yeah, I think well, Francis like... is only at the train station 1% of his life. Yeah, exactly. But it's like the only part we see. The only another 99% is at the Burberry fashion events yeah exactly is he a dj uh, he should be it's like a modern day gully guy leo yeah it'd be funny if his dj sets were just like train sounds like thomas the tank engine remixes or something train sounds on loop that'd be a pretty funny concert he- like you know what it would be actually if he was to release some music project it should be like a cafe del mar type, you know like elevator music muzak but it's like train sounds Sometimes I feel like if we pitch these ideas to these people, they would genuinely go for them. We just don't have his email. Quick train tour off that conversation, but I was listening to Louis Theroux's podcast yesterday and I just thought, wow, imagine being the producer for that show and how fun that would be. And then I thought, how hard could that be? And then I thought, it's probably very competitive. But in theory, just being a producer on the Louis Theroux podcast would be quite simple. There was one summer in Byron, I read like three of his books. It was just like what was available at the library. And he has a production company with his wife. 
I think they did it through the BBC and then I don't know if they've more recently signed to the BBC again. This one was actually a Spotify exclusive. Yeah. So Spotify, I remember it was in it Spotify happening. Studios, which I found interesting. Because he wrote one book during COVID and that was a really insightful book. I felt really seen by it in the way that he's such a wanderer and like his whole curiosity with humans and like going to the ends of the earth, like how he kind of talked about what it felt like to be caged in and not being able to scratch that itch and kind of the internal spiral like felt really reflective of my experience. Because in one of the episodes he was talking to Baz Luhrmann and he referred to himself still as a documentarian. I was like thinking this podcast stuff is cute and I know he's going to keep doing it, but I wonder what video piece he's like making in the background. Well, he did talk about that in the book because he had not yet done his podcast, but I remember like he'd referred to the production of doing a podcast because he couldn't get on the road, but his primary medium has always been video. So I think he was like struggling with the concept of it initially because it was like he thinks in film. Everyone during that lockdown period felt a certain way about life. They're like, oh my God, how am I ever going to do this, this and this? I'm sure he's been jolted with creativity and I feel like there's a, ton of subjects he could go after yeah i mean that's the thing though much like the thing about francis bourgeois it's like it's not like the world stopped moving it's just we stopped getting the look in segueing it back into our trip i think maybe he'll go after sort of the freaks we think in this age of the internet that the freaks of you know the lion king type people of the country and the world don't exist anymore but once you go out of the city you start to realize that people are really living these lives of- yeah but this is the thing and this is what always happens like when you're in a bubble of utopia hipster bubbles of utopia i always talk about this as apartments and the world that you create in your little town or village that you've got village of beep I had the same thing in Sydney, like the inner west or like the inner north or south side or wherever your little utopia is. Like it's not that different to a township in the oldie days. Like you have your yeah. little utopia of like people that are like you, that are like-minded, that yeah. is your community. You've so- got some people over here making, you know, jars of pickles and then you've got other people over here delivering milk. Yeah, like but- there's, that's a thing though. Like you don't have to go that far. You know, you don't have to go to the country and go rural or regional to see it. Like I, like even though I like had my very formative years in the city, I really grew up in the deep suburbs, you know, pre having all the freeways and like still being the sticks on the train line. Like it was a different world. And even when I go see my family, I'm like, wow, the world here is so different. Not that crazy, but it's just like, for me, the suburban landscape is a lot of independent businesses, people that work for themselves. It's like the tradie kingdom. Whereas like going to the countryside was like the farmer kingdom. And yeah. that's the difference. It's like you got know, your office workers in the city. Yeah. That. The biggest dick I feel like we both found generally is when you find a font core establishment in the country because you're like, oh, like which former lawyer turned business owner has moved out to the country and now charging $21 for a panini or whatever the fuck. You know what I mean? Well, I think it depends because we talked about this theory with Brad and Edna. And if you haven't listened to the episode, we talked about Brad and Edna. Edna is like the resident of small country town. You know, that's the person that's been there since the soldier settler scheme, <laughs> which I've just learned about. You know, she's been there. She's grown up there. She's got a, you know, ye olde recipe for her vanilla slice. Brad could either be a blow in, like a hipster that has decided to have like a equivalent of a sea change. I saw there was another reference for it for when you move to the bush. I can't remember what it is. But anyways, they've had a bush change and they're like, all right, 
I'm disconnecting from the city. I want to go rural. And then he's come in with his like city mentality. And like now we're starting to see tourism happen, which is, you know, a fine line between needing to help boost the economy. And now it's become overrun with tourists to the point that like you lose a lot of your authenticity and soul. Well, when you see, when you go to a cafe in Dalesford, which is what, an hour and a half out of Melbourne, and then you see someone at a cafe, they're wearing this like font core lawn general store hoodie with good morning tapes shirt i was like i don't know it just feels a bit odd it happens a lot the romanticism of the country town that is really weird it's sort of at the same time guts the authenticity away from what but that it depends on the thing right? you know an I mean? example of that is like federal general store yeah really cute but like it has merch you know and it's like merch that like is co-opted by hipsters yeah it's or whatever. too like self-aware which i think yeah but we're also part of the problem because we, we are, are those people we that are, are showing up the demand we are the ones demanding it like yeah as the audience well this is where it's like you demand <laughs> no, you know, sound like it's such a grandma no but it is one of those situations this is what i'm saying it's like the greed comes from you want it and you have a taste and then you're like i want more of it and it's kind of like you know natural resources it's like the same thing it's like oh i like those flowers i'm going to keep picking them until there's none left there is like i said about the fine line between tourism because there is a point where a place could need the tourism to have an economy like single economy towns you know maybe it is farming maybe the way that climate change is happening like now they don't have the empire that they would have had like you know just doing the thing that they do best so now tourism has to become like a part of their you know infrastructure in order for the residents to have money to survive whatever that's great like when you bring tourism in to do that awesome but it can go too far particularly when you have like a natural resource or landmark i think particularly a natural resource such as a beach or such as or it's gone well, no. So there's your natural resources and then there's all the other things that come along with that, which would be the food, you know, like the giant scone. You're saying, the yeah, giant or like the giant exist. pineapple. I think like they could actually paint a giant rock to look like a scone and then just call it the giant scone. Well, they should do it where picking a hanging rock is, which is not that far from Dalesford. I can't like, remember the actual town. Paint the rock. Is it actually a rock? But you know how like that already exists? Oh my God, I saw one recently. Hey, Bale Art. So this town, I think it's smart because it's like you're not chipping away at something that like you shouldn't be touching. You know, it's not like you're like chopping down trees. The hay is your canvas. You know, when you're like driving through, we saw a lot of this as you're driving through like the highways and you see all the hay bales on the side because we were like, oh, yeah, make hay while the sun shines or whatever. Like they're just sitting there. Maybe they're under a protector or maybe they're out in the wild, but like they're just sitting there anyway. You're already like, wow, look at that giant stack of hay. Like that one we saw that they built like a Minecraft style wall. Yeah, some dude called Brett had like spent four hours stacking. I don't think it would would take way longer than four hours. Stacking some kind of tractor. He probably just. A forklift or something yeah i, mean, I don't you know to, you can't do that by hand who knows i mean it was pretty high though. how did they build the pyramids these are the questions you know like we're starting to this is like now we're getting to fucking theories about crop circles like that but don't let, let's not just go there too fast <laughs> anyways so you see them as you're driving anyway but somewhere can't remember where they've like made them into like art sculptures like they've got like they use, so you're saying they use the hay as a shape or they yeah like paint, kind of like like the, i'm saying about the minecraft use the big square four by four as like a, a canvas 2d canvas well like, the you, pictures that i had seen it was more like they'd created a shape and then they painted them oh wow so like paper mache type of shit yeah, it's like, like it's like waste. minecraft core where it's like the blocks of hay have like now like 
almost made like eight. Well, it wasn't as clever as that. They should have used it to make eight bit art. Very, that would have been fucking cool. That seems very like city mouse to come in and go, oh, wow, let's use well, these hay bale. And then the farmer's like, motherfucker, that's for the cows. To yeah, yeah, like stop, stop spray painting my hay. Stop painting on that. It's not. But like, to be fair. I don't know if it was City Mouse because maybe it was just the pictures that I'd seen. I don't know if I was on some like local paper, a local rag, but some of the art that I saw was quite childlike, as mentioned before with Francis. It's like, you know, in the middle of the shopping centre when you're a kid and they'd have those like school activities like on the holidays and then you'd get to paint some plaster little shapes like ceramics i mean look i had different things when i grew up which i can get into such as the local market where they would give you a naked candle wick and then you would proceed to spend an hour dipping the wick into like liquid wax buckets and building your own candle that and then they would shape the candle at the end <laughs> would you get to keep it or would they then sell it on your behalf was Actually, that just this is pretty weird was so that let, me, a sweatshop? let me explain that a bit better so basically where I... yeah, you're like at the market you're like yeah i just feel this like labor and then like this no no, no woman. it was labor it was fun it was like okay so you're let's, you got but the... what did happen to the candles at the end just tell me that much now and you get to keep them okay you got to keep them so, so right, was like, it's pretty interesting it? actually so what, this is how it went down let's say you're like five years old and the market's happening and your parents are like i need to offload this kid for like an hour i need some me time so there'd be this three gazebos set up you know for shade and then under the three there would be these long tables on the tables there'd be just imagine like paint buckets but the, instead of full of paint they're full of liquid wax and underneath there would be a candle to keep it melted right or some kind of fire and they'd all be different colors you'd have like blue red yellow white if Bronchi's listening to this she'll know what i'm talking about or anyone from byron they'll know what i'm talking about and then the parents would come by drop the kids off and they'd be like all right have fun and then the kid would get this naked wick like a long how do you describe a wick just like a, a piece of string a piece of string like piece a piece of yarn shoelace type thing and then from nothing you start to dip you go dip into the wax and you leave the top where you're holding it and then dip into water. There'd be buckets of water next to it. And then you dip again and you dip again. You dip back and forth. And then you do red for like, let's say 10 dips. And then you go do blue for 10 dips. And then you do yellow for 10 dips. And then all of a sudden, if you think about it, it's like the circles of a tree forming. So you've got different colors going on. Mm. And you're making this kind of like chode of a candle. <laughs> like it's starting to look like this sweet potato basically. You know what's funny about all of this is I think about like crafting, millennials and crafting, <laughs> and this is that. Bro, like, this would go, this would be like paint and sip on people. Would oh, lose bro. Their mind. It's just a bit of a mess because it's kind of. Like I've waxy. worked the bar at a paint and sip situation before. This one was like a rave rave one but it's quite fascinating to watch the joy that people have doing like the most basic childlike things the real so this is this is where it gets weird so you know let's say you spent an hour there as a kid and now you've got you know you've got like the two grandma the grandma and the grandpa mum and pop who were like overseeing this operation and then what happens at the end is you go i'm done and then she goes oh cool and then she takes the you know it's fully solid now so you have this kind of like chunky ass candle which has all the layers going. And then what the grandpa guy would do with his paring knife, this is so weird, you have a paring knife. You know how, like, Italian grandmas, like, cut onions? You're like, so he's whittling, whittling. Yeah, you know when they cut onions yeah, like, yeah. in midair with, like, their thumb? They're, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like really, like, which is, I find quite weird, but it seems to work. He would start to whittle the candle into a shape it's like one of those balloon animals he'd be like you like i want it to look like a, a dog and then he'd go gotcha so he starts to like slice the bottom of it and then he starts to like fold the round parts on and then he starts to like build this 
like dog candle and then he would start to like carve bits out and then he'd be like, voila. And it's like, wow, I have a candle that looks like a dog and it has all the layers on the inside. And then you'd have your candle and then he'd be like, all right, see ya. And you pay your money and you go. So, okay, real question is how much did it cost? Well, back then, I don't even remember. They wouldn't have exploited that at the time. It would have been probably like maybe like 20 bucks or 10 bucks or something. Like, mm. you know, which for the parent is buying you me time. And it's also getting you a candle and endless joy. It really was a community for children to network. Like it was a networking experience. For yeah, yeah. I'm sure now it's been, now it's probably cost $50 and. It'd be minimum spend would be like $30 plus fees to do the booking yeah. through, you know, whatever website. That was the real joy, but that was something that I grew up with. But back to the country town that we visited yeah okay i want to talk about the drive so like i said there's the hay bale art didn't see hay bale art because the other thing that you see there's like a silo art trail which is actually pretty sick we went and like we didn't mean to but we did stop along the way when we went for that drive to visit joe with bronte and i thought that was quite interesting but yeah like basically like that kind of tourism i like the silos are there anyway and now they've just painted on them so now it's like become a bit of a tourist attraction versus like chipping away at land like i think when you're starting to chip away at natural resource and build resorts on them that's where i mean we see it we're seeing it happen in real time with byron so i think that you know where you can like zhuzh up something that's already there without taking away from it that's like the best possible outcome for tourism one of the things that i, I wanted to flag on the road trip was the radio we did not have a aux cord big mistake but like you know we're trying to do this the way that in a genuine way so we were renting a car yeah and it also didn't have like a digital interface car was fine it was a bit bit of a bomb but it was like not shocking yeah yeah it was fine so moral of the story is so i'm like old old school like i'm just gonna listen to the radio what nobody talks about is the radio frequency and i don't know if this is like got to do with the car that we were in or if the, the radio towers are just not very strong but like for something like triple j which is very much like got a big rural audience like i wasn't even that far out of the city and i'm like i can't pick up the radio frequencies like it was just lots of static especially when you start going down highways like you're off the freeway now you're going down the highways we had to like drive a lot without any sound because it was kind of like this is just so unbearable yeah so i just thought that was really interesting to be like how are we getting our radio plays well most modern cars have digital radio which i think connects to satellites whereas Mm. fm connects to radio towers but that's modern cars well that was interesting actually before we got out of the city i want to talk about this quickly we're basically at the part where it's like Werribee and then it, it goes into more rural and beyond. Like I think you start going towards Sunbury and stuff. But we did the uh, pit stop because pit stops now, like the romanticism of doing the road trip where you stop at the pit stop, like the Route 66 pit stop where it's like now some like podunk diner or whatever, like that doesn't exist. They're all the BP ones that have a wild bean cafe, maybe a Subway, definitely a Macca's, maybe a KFC or Hungry Jack's. And like, that's pretty much it. Like they're just those again and again. I found that we were road tripping in the Philippines. What would another pit stop have? It'd be like an independent one is what you Uh, think you're going to see, but you're actually just going to BP. Right. Really? Bro, what do you mean? It's always a BP pit stop off of a freeway. No, more like, I don't think I think of another thing. I think that's my natural thought is to just think. Well, I think if you think about it more of like like a, well, like I think about the great American road trip. Oh, right, right, right. Like a old man in a convenience store or something. Yeah, like that. That still exists, sort they of. They still exist, but like 
you have to go further out like and you have to get off the freeway the freeway because of the way that they were built like they're more modern than a highway yeah like you'd see those on the highway when you stop into a town yeah no small business is going to have that prime like freeway real estate well i was doing some research about um freeway developments and highway developments and basically like you think that constructing a road that like goes through or i mean realistically like a highway or a freeway bypasses a town so it doesn't congest it with traffic but like i think for a lot of places that are a bit off the beaten path like without having an interchange or without having a road that goes through it they might not get passerbys that bring in income yeah so you think that having a motorway that comes curious as us to yeah Go off the beaten track. Well, like the thing is, you think that it would increase tourism by having that, but apparently some study was like, unless it's like a motorway specific business, you don't really get the tourism dollars. You know what I mean? Like you really have to have a landmark or it's like the businesses that would succeed off the back of that would be like a motel because like truckers need to sleep or whatever, or it'd be like a coffee shop that's like sells petrol, you know, something that's very relevant to it. But anyways, going past the last like Maccas before we start to see like the yellow countryside, you know what I mean? We saw the sign for the Kerwin Frost adult happy meal and you were like, oh my God, I didn't think it would go out this far, but technically we're still in Werribee. So we got one. You did. Got the nuggies, whatever you had to do to get it. I do resent the fact that I have to buy the food and the drink to get the toy, but is what it is but that's like the joy of it because remember you could do that when you're a kid i don't feel the joy like that i feel guilt because i'm like this is well you don't have the emotional attachment to mac as the way i did as a child like i'm a filipino child that also like grew up in the suburbs like i guess it's that but for me it's like i'm not even that hungry because there's times where i do crave mcdonald's and i'm like i want but it's like i don't you know what it is i think what i don't love is that i couldn't get what I would get. I had to subscribe to what they were saying what the meal was. I mean, that was what Happy Meals were like. Yeah. At I'm, this point, you're like... But I'm saying with the adult Happy Meal, you say, should just let you pay a minimum and be like, okay, you get the toy now. That would be cool. No, but see, that's like taking away from the whole concept of a prepackaged meal, which is what a Happy Meal is. Yeah, they want to like push a certain amount of certain product and they're going to... Well, it's also like you still need to keep the concept or else now it's just any old meal with a toy. It's taking away from the whole concept of it being... A happy meal but instead i think the whole concept was like happy meal for an adult like instead of getting the three nuggets that you used to get now you get 10 <laughs> like you got three nuggets in a little bag before like obviously things have changed now like three nuggets yeah you would get three nuggets or you could get a cheeseburger or a hamburger well this is where you and i are very different like i literally did not grow up around close at mcdonald's was a 30 minute drive in, in ballina Ballina's whole thing was that they had all the fast food and it was a retirement village. And well, this is the thing. So Byron had none of that. Had two subways at one point. So I was never killed by a McDonald's. It was never were, in my bloodstream. Yeah. So you were around a beach. So we talk about the natural resources. If you read like Joan Didion, she talks about this in some of her books. But like yeah, the seashells were my chicken nuggets. Yeah. So it's like you either have a town that's built around a natural resource. So you go back to the old days, you're following the water. And then you're following where like produce is or gold is or whatever it is that you're trying to like, you know, live off the land. That's where you go. Like, or maybe you're at a shipping dock. Like there's a function. But the thing about suburbs is that they were man-made. So you think about those man-made lakes, you think about the shopping malls or a factory, that's like a suburb. So like a suburb that was like, doesn't necessarily have natural resources. So especially in the deep, deep suburbs or where you see those pop-up suburbs come up, they'll build a Westfield. Where does an inner city suburb sit in all this? Because they 
don't necessarily have the fast food. We're kind of jumping all over the timeline, but at City back in the day was like where you would do work and then the actual affluence would live in like a place like let's say the eastern suburbs like Q. You're a little bit out of the city was actually a sign of wealth because you're like don't actually want to be in the industrialness of the city. So like don't forget that like Fitzroy and Collingwood and areas like that were like kind of slums back in the day. Like it wasn't lucrative to live that close to the city because kind of you're getting the blowback from the city whereas i guess technically those cities like fitzroy and marrickville and stuff on a technical level they don't have any body of water that they're near they're actually kind of just whatever well what's funny they they just have proximity to the cbd but you know what's funny so like well let me like really drill this home with the suburban landscape is they've created a town within like a landscape when Joan Didion talks about it it's very much about the American landscape because like California doesn't have that much water but then they've created these towns so it's like they've built a supermarket there like a big shopping center to like draw people to live around it because you can create a community around a shopping center as a landmark similarly it's like a factory gets put there there's jobs around there so now you live around the job what's happened in this generation is I feel like the inner city suburbs, we've done that. And our version of building the supermarket, building the shopping center is like a cafe. I guess if you really try to figure out the source of it all, it's all the artists and the the students and stuff who have no money at the start of, you know, in their early 20s, etc. They all move to these places. Ironically, they create some kind of, you can't grab it, but it's like a community, I guess, of people who are, they're all in it for the same reason of like cheap rent and then much like we're seeing in somewhere like Thornbury, the cheap rent community creates a vibe because they're all artists and cool people. And then in come the developers and they go, oh, this is a vibe. And then ironically, they gut the area. It's like what we're saying about the country town, like the gentrification of places. It's so interesting because you're like- But there's a sweet spot. And this is what I'm saying. It's like the sweet spot is the very beginning of anything. And then what happens is, you know, it's like when you think about like being an indie artist going to a commercial artist, like- you're now wanting more money, you're wanting more tourism, you're wanting more cafes. You're disrupting the purity of it. Yeah, and like it's almost like when is it enough? I think it's just going to keep on happening like that, but we're at now a time where it's like it's happening in such excess that like you can go to a place that's two hours out of the city and you're seeing it already. Yeah, yeah. It's very hard to find a place now. And it's not saying I'm not saying it doesn't exist because there's a romanticism of like the country living that we all have. There is like a human instinct to like want to be close to the dirt. You know, well, a fun example was when we went to a market in one of these towns, and they were like, "Cash donation on entry. We take FPOS or something." And I was like, "That's weird." I always like going to a place that's like a cash friendly city. Byron is still like that. And that's how you know that it hasn't completely gone the other way. Because when you've got a cash based economy, it says so much about the place. Yeah. A lot of independent businesses that are trying to avoid that. They're really trying to skirt the system. But that's also like as means of survival. I don't think it's necessarily like, I mean, it depends how you look at it, like how sinister it can be. But like a cash based society is a nod to the old Australia. And you are pressed to find that like when you create a utopia festival cashless society where it's like we're trying to get rid of cash like i don't know there's like a very different mentality to the cash is king mentality which you can still find in the deep suburbs you can still find in rural locations we're in a time now where like the primal instinct is to be like and we are part of this problem and i don't even know if it's a problem but like you want the feeling of like being on the farm and being close to nature and being close to the dirt and whatever full primal you know your primal instincts of wanting to be connected to nature and then there's also the wanting to be connected to real people and community but then there's the tiny house 
version of that. Mm. But you want your little, like, perfect little utopia, but you have, like, basically pulled your apartment out of the inner city and, like, it's, like, teleported you and you kind of want the best of both worlds, which I feel like I, I do actually want that. Like, Well, I feel like if I, gen- if I genuinely yearned to be living in the country like that, the things I don't, so, you know what I mean? But I feel like for those people who genuinely seek a tree change... I think that's what it's called, a tree change. If people seek that tree change, it's it's a different kind of story. But I think it's also dependent, though, because some people seek it because it's something they don't know or they're, like, sick of the city. They're, like, become yeah. disgruntled or, like, jaded by it. And then there's people that actually grew up in rural locations. Yeah. Like, when I grew up, like, I think there's a part of me, because of where I did grow up, like, back in the day, people called it the sticks. It felt like growing up in the country because it was so disconnected back then. Like, because, you know, people hadn't built up further than there at the time it was actually the shires after that there's always going to be a part of you that yearns for that thing that you know and like my biggest people were moving back from mm. you know like they did their time in the city now they're going back what i love the most about going out to the country is the air because when i was a kid i used to go to the victorian country to like my grandparents farm it's like the smell of the trees and you know the grass and the dirt and the, it's like for me the smell is very evocative smell can take me back to places that i'm like wow like i've never it's like deep memories of not even like oh my god it's so joyful but actually there's this one smell is kind of separate from that but when i was in kindergarten there was this one smell i think that one of the teachers whatever you call them would wear and occasionally i smell it in the streets like someone will have it like it's is from- it lavender I don't know what it is. <laughs> I thought about this the other day. I was like, I don't know what it is. You never know. There's no there's no Shazam for smells, even though that would be a crazy idea if you're listening, angel investors. But the same thing happens with the countryside where I'm like, wow, like, you know, the wind will blow and this, these trees will blow this smell. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel like I'm 10 again. Like, I just remember that smell and then it's gone. And it's kind of cool because you can't Google it. You can't pinpoint it. It's just something that you have for yourself. And I feel like everyone has that in their own way. Of- well, if you watch Anastasia, the cartoon one, that's one of the big things in spoilers, but, you know, she'll smell this particular peppermint smell because, like, the whole thing was about the princess was that she, like, disappeared for years and they thought she was dead. And then it's like, oh, she's Anastasia. And then she's, like, smells the peppermint. It brings back all these memories and that's yeah. when she becomes crown princess again. But Another smell of that. And you don't like it, but lavender and rosemary mm. and also herbs like generally. i like herbs but not lavender so where i used to go to this farm when i was a kid was on a herb farm mm. and there was all the herbs but predominantly there was basil and oh, basil oregano basil oregano and like rosemary were just mm. wafting in the air and every time i smell them now especially kind of rosemary i feel like there's rosemary going everywhere in melbourne there is um, a lot of rosemary every time i just sort of like rub it on my fingers and smell it i'm like it kind of calms me down i'm like this is interesting yeah well okay so what's funny about that is you gotta dig deeper here we go my version of farms was obviously my family's yeah. farms in the philippines so there's like a different kind of smell there because it's like a hot location it was different back then it's a different landscape it's not like the victorian bush yeah the provinces of the philippines are different the mountains are probably more similar to australia my grandfather my little Eric, so my grandmother, well, it was the first marriage she actually had, but I had an Australian family. My grandma married an Australian man. He was a full-on cowboy vibes, wore the double denim, the Jack Daniels shirts, used to do rolly cigarettes and supported the West Coast Eagles. So I had like an Australian grandfather character yeah. as I was growing up and he lived in Fertree Gully. So we'd go out to their house in Fertree Gully and like that's in the Daniel Ranges. So like I had my bush lifestyle was going there. Mm. And do you have a smell or anything of that? Well, it's funny because like out there is the gum trees, right? But yeah. my version of a childhood smell is Vicks. 
Interesting. Which is Some, like I something you still use every day. And I still use it all the time because it calms me down. But it's like Maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe it's because that I have the like memories of the eucalyptus smells. Or it also was like I had a lot of like hay fever challenges and yeah you know actually i think this is an interesting topic because smell is one of those things that let's say we all look at some picture or something or you know some meme everyone can kind of universally go ha 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 or like yes i agree that meme is red and it says this and it's funny whereas a smell is obviously some things everyone's like the smell of chocolate or coffee you know like universal but when it comes to like individual smells and what they evoke in you it's like the combination of the smell plus what it means to you is completely shifting and i wonder if people share the same i mean i'm sure they do but you know i wonder if people as a whole have the same kind of feelings with certain smells or if they all just mean something completely no different. because it could also be a triggering smell yes you know what i mean so as an example i did actually have one of these triggering smells we were in the or? no 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 we were it was on this trip so we were in that fruit and veg oh, yeah. like grocer that was in Dalesford and at one point I walked past like maybe the frozen section or something and there was a particular smell. Oh yeah, we so we walked into a Coles. Oh no, it was in the Coles. So yeah, we walked in the, into the Coles. We're in the Coles in Dalesford. Yeah. And you got a big waft of like air conditioning. It was an like air conditioned, like icy smell. Yeah. So we go from like 30 degrees hot outside into, into the air icy conditioning. And you're like looking around because you love the supermarket. And I'm like, you know, like looking around, whatever. And this waft comes at me. And I just yeah. like, was teleported back to the Philippines last year. Two years ago. Two years ago, whenever yeah. it was that we went on that, that first trip. When we were in a bit of a rut. Yeah, and it was just like yeah. I remember being at the SM supermarket. There's like a slight smell of meat in that cold refrigerated yes, yes, air, yes, yes. and it was that particular meat I know that refrigerated. See I know, see, I know the exact smell that you're talking about. Yeah, it's you know like the smell. It's kind of almost like plastic. It's like plastic-covered meat Covered refrigerated. Meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah wafting at you and yeah. it just teleported me back <laughs> to the philippines and i like got the shivers because yeah, i was like shit one of the time so. yeah i was not having a great time yeah. and i remember being like your only escape because it's so hot and you're in like let's say manila and i just need to get out of the heat but like the refrigeration is like now it smells like meat and now i feel sick and it's just like it was kind of a triggering smell because i was like so oh my god it just took me back to a place when i was like this purity of like being in the country right now is giving me the like i'm trying to escape something and yeah. it's gonna just keep following me dude smell i mean another smell and i think this is a universal smell is the smell of organic natural supermarkets mm. they all have the same smell i don't know yeah, it's think... like the what asap has bottled yeah exactly or is it the like open spice section incense plus vegetables right. is the smell yeah, yeah yeah like literal hessian bags yeah and like wood yeah and i feel like there's the same smell that goes and it's not a bad smell it's just it's, i do it's wonder if it's same. like actually the smell or if there's a particular type of incense that they're burning yeah that everyone's like you know when you're like, like keeps so vegetables past, fresh or something well, it's like you know the smell that they have at subway subway yeah they I my don't first know if job that's a scent or if it's like Dude, actually the smell of bread my first job was at subway and that smell has been part of me since that that well, time. you also have allegiance to something. And I'm, I think smells, we can talk about this another time in more depth, but I just feel like smells are so interesting. And last smell I'll talk about is just the smell of like perfumes and colognes of certain clubbing areas. And like, oh, I, no, there's lots of triggering like male scents there. When I left high school, I think I started wearing Armani Code, I think it was mm. called. And it was like this black bottle. If I smell that, occasionally I'll smell it on the streets when someone's partying. I don't wear it anymore. It takes me straight back to just being wasted and like vomiting and bad. Yeah, the triggering smell for me would be dupe. 
for men and like aqua de gio or whatever it's called and maybe like hugo boss for men like those smells are like real fuckboy scents yeah. the other one that i smell a lot and it's like you'll go into an elevator and it's like i smell it a lot is it brexona um, maybe no it's it usually links. links africa or like axe or like any of those particular types of like musky yeah, teenage boy teenage boy it's like a mix with sweat because it's like a dude's come back from the gym oh, and yeah, yeah, dummy. Yeah. that smell is just like i still smell it all the time yeah it let's just smell let's good. just like fellas out there let's just tone down the smell a little bit like you don't need to i mean i remember guys used to like do the like the Z motion and they would do it on their back as well in the sports what do you call it the sports room in the the locker room locker room it's just like it's too much you know when they wouldn't use the antiperspirant no they never used it because the girls version of that was impulse impulse was we had one. um there was impulse alive was like the one i loved and then there was this <gasps> do you remember when impulse one? came in like they were like oh i remember the vanilla one was big the alive one was really big the spice girls collab that one was popping off yeah fuck and my sister still uses Britney Spears fantasy or midnight fantasy and like that is reflective of that smell dude there was one guy who i was friends with michelle who had a wall he had a wall of Lynx chocolate just Ugh. building. He just was so proud of it. He would have like 12 of them just stacked on top of each other. See, I don't even have a scent now. Like the closest thing I'll use to a scent is antiperspirant deodorant and then Mario Badescu rose water spray. Yeah. I like a neutral smelling environment. Actually, my favorite like cleanliness smell is um Febreze clean linen. <laughs> I do appreciate, I never used to really get it, but now I do understand like incense, but a hipster incense, like yeah, a supply yeah. store, yeah. like a green tea incense or something, yeah. which I do like. And I would like to dabble in the candle industry, but like not in- It's all about finding the right candle. More like cause... a crisp linen or a water or something. No, I feel like a, a candle that smells nice is cinnamon or something like that. Like I don't like a woody smell. I think we both don't love sandalwood. I do. I like it. Actively dislike the two smells that I find like sorry, really world. gross is I don't like sandalwood as a smell. It's too much. It smells too much like wood. And then I don't love lavender because it's, it smells like old. Yeah. And that, I don't like that smell. And also I think I'm quite allergic to lavender, so it doesn't help. Something I really enjoyed along the drive was seeing essentially ads like you do on social media where like they're building to tell you a story such as the one that we saw for garlic. So it was like as you went on, the ad would change, like build the attention to yeah. be like garlic approaching. So I think I wrote down. Yeah, like the side the side of the where you can buy it on the side of the road. Well, yeah, yeah. So you thought. And they still got this in Byron. I think that I realized how like rural a lot of the areas around Byron Township are. The evolution of the garlic signs. There's a handwritten sign stuck to trees and it was like garlic up ahead and it'd be like garlic coming, garlic whatever. And then there was one that said garlic up ahead, FPOS available, but it was like stuck to a tree. That was so weird. It was very strange. And then there was one that would be like, it's now saying garlic and honey. So I was like, oh. Oh, now there's also honey. And then it would be like garlic, 100 meters. No, the issue with that is like how much garlic does one person need to buy? Because you think about incremental, like how much road traffic is going towards Dalesford, for yeah. example. If you sell one garlic per hour or like one garlic per day over time, like how much garlic yeah. money are you making on top of what you would already be selling to supermarkets or, you know, selling at the markets themselves? Yeah. I mean, the only issue is that when we approached the garlic after the multiple different signs, you had to then go into the house and knock. And I was like, you've just lost me. Like, I'm, yeah, I don't want to actually need to put it in one of those little little huts and just let me on a system, just let me buy it and go. Like, as a city folk, I don't want to talk to anyone. Well, I think this is when I'm starting to question the garlic producer that was there because I'm like, why do you have FPOS? 
like where's the trust-based system of like put the donation in the bucket in the little hut yeah gone now that i have to also knock that you need to assess you you know you have to like it's not just like about garlic at that point like it's like they've nailed the marketing and then they've fallen over with the process yeah their IRL Shopify has too many steps. Yeah. And it's like, you made it too complicated. And it's also now it's like, who's really winning here? Like, is it just me purchasing garlic? Cause you're already getting the money for the garlic, but now you want a conversation. Like this is too much. Yes. Yeah, so it's $2 for the garlic plus a conversation, which is. Well, yeah. Like what's the price of a conversation? And as we know, time is money. City grinding folk, time is money as everyone knows. So that was, you know, what started as like a great journey ended in no garlic, uh, no garlic purchased no. because you didn't nail the execution of the actual well, what I'm trying for the to get sale. At, I'm trying to, trying to get out as well is that, I hate to say it, but garlic is one of those things that I can go pick up at pretty much any supermarket in a second and I only need one bowl and it costs like $2. So mm. you really need to be selling me some like truffles or some a pumpkin or maybe like a bag of lemons or something. like. I feel like ginger would have been a good one. Like yeah. ginger, I feel like is, you know, that's a fun little thing that. One garlic bulb, it's like mm, not really top of my needs list. Right yeah, now. like a bucket of apples or yeah. like a tub of honey. Like a bag of finger limes up in, you know, you don't get that anywhere. That's when you're like, wow, I can only get that here and I'm going to stop and get yeah, it. Yeah, like what is the area? Like, you know, when you're like in Mildura County or whatever it's like oh bag of oranges i know they're going to be the best oranges that's some advice also you can't eat it like the beauty of like buying out of those little like fruit huts yes is like instant instant like you're like i'm not even gonna wash this i'm gonna yeah, risk like, I'm gonna it dip all my finger american pie style into the tub of honey and then pull it out and be like wow and then it's it. so organic to the point that like and yeah, i an haven't had it on there yeah and you're like wow this is so pure like i have a taste of purity and yeah. childlike wonder like like imagine bear. getting this garlic i'm yeah, so at this point, it's like, okay, I'm actually going through the process of I actually went and knocked on the door. Now I've had a really awkward conversation with someone there, like trying to quickly set up their square so I can pay for my bulb of garlic, get to the car, and I just take a fucking chunk out of it with my teeth. <laughs> like <clears throat> Shelbyville with the turnips. Yeah, or like, you know, like Creed in the office eating the potato and or the onion, and he thinks it's an apple. Actually, quick 30-second detour is that Tony Abbott, Prime Minister, when he was in had one video where he went out to the country to the farm and he's trying to like be relatable and it's an, <laughs> it's an onion farm i'm not making this up and they're like yeah we've got some great onions here and he's like this is a full media moment and he's such a freak he like he's lacking some fucking tact he decides <laughs> what i'm gonna do right now is i'm gonna take a bite like an apple out of an onion and he bites the onion and just does that like nod of like <laughs> everything's fine it tastes good and the tear you can see like tears are starting to fall it's a fucking onion like known for tears and the media is like what are we watching and he's like turns to the farm he's like that's a great onion and i'm like everyone watching that was like that's a tough one if fucking albanese pulled that one out he might lose the next like, it's funny because um we watched that episode of veep where she has to go to the rural town and they put the camera on her like in the lead up to like oh we're gonna go see the farmers you know like that is really interesting when you see like the prime minister has to go out to the farm yeah, and they have to go from like let's call let's just call what it is snooty inner city like rich politicians to pretending to understand even what the farmer's talking about and the farmers usually just on them they're just like go wild they're just they're not trying to impress anyone they don't get seen very often like yeah you know. they're like oh the irrigation on the property is really shit of the moment and then the the politician's like totally 
Yeah, like so they've never that? experienced that in their life. Like, you know, what's irrigation? Well, this is like the whole thing. So when we were driving out between Tailsford into some of the smaller towns and like we saw all the Osnet, my favourite was the piss-off Osnet <laughs> burnt into the ground on top of a hill. I still am on trying to figure out. big hills or like a mound, like a large Similar to a crop circle. Volcanic mound. Kind of distance. like in the – my favourite video clip of all time is Crazy by Aerosmith and there's a scene at the end where the truck or the tractor or whatever has like gone off and so and it's spelled out the word crazy. Like it's dug into the dirt to spell yeah. it out. In my mind, this is how they like form this. Either they had to dig – into the dirt or they got like a tractor to like right into the dirt or you even said like they burnt it in there it to was, say piss off Osnet. Big enough to see probably from a few kilometers away. So it was, yeah, Osnet. So what is Osnet? So they're an energy provider. Yeah. So the current situation like that Yeah. in the countryside of Victoria is the world trying to move towards renewable energy, but that energy has to be, I guess, wired across the countryside from the wind turbine or the offshore wind thing or whatever to the different towns and the city, right? So that has to happen somehow. It doesn't just appear and you can't bottle it, etc. So the government wants to build the power lines across the land for, I imagine, hundreds of kilometers and the farmers are not having it. They're like, no, nah, yeah. we don't want this. And I, I can understand. It's like, why would you well, uh, ruin okay, the so view, ruin the property? It's being positioned, depending which media outlet you're observing this through or how you're finding your, your information. Yeah. But, you know, as someone that's in the city, it's going to be positioned like, ah, oh, these crazy, crazy farmers. crazy farmers are like, you selfish. Know, they're selfish. They're just like, not in my backyard. They're calling them the NIMBYs. NIMBYs. Not in my backyard. And N-I-M-B-Y. it's like, N-I-M-B-Y. You know, it's like, oh, we support renewable energy, but like not in my backyard. But you know, as I did further investigation and obviously seeing this firsthand, when you see like the actual properties in question and you see it with your eyes and you're like, cool, like I see why there is a backlash. Like I'm not saying either side is right or wrong. Like obviously I stand with renewable energy, but it is the question at hand is like, yes, this is where it gets complicated because one, there is the purity of the land where it's like who the land belongs to. Obviously none of it actually belongs to anyone except for the Indigenous Australians. But if we're talking like post-colonization, like these properties of land belong to whoever has the deed. Yep. So, you know, in order to put a power line on a property, you have to like get the approval or whether it's like a forced hand or it's an agreed upon situation, but they need to be compensated. So like apparently they're being compensated poorly. Like the suggested compensation is like one tenth. I think that's roughly around the data of like they're offering one tenth of what it's a classic, land. it's a piss take. Yeah, it's like it's, you're going to get paid way less than what you would make for your survival. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, like even if Liberal Labor government, you know that both of those governments are going to, in a classic negotiation style, going to lowball. Yeah. Because they're going to try and get their costs down. That's just Yeah, that's and just maybe it it's like, you know, similar to like when an influencer is getting lowballed to be like, <laughs> you get exposure. It's like, oh, but you're doing it for the greater good. Like, let us put this tower here because for yeah. the greater good – of the future of climate, you're doing a good thing. So therefore we're going to pay you less. But like you can see it in the way that like if you are a struggling farmer and you're like, well, I need to make ends meet now. It's easy Well, no, because it's like you're going to pay me one-tenth less than what I can make. The squeeze and the pitch could also be like, this is easy money. That would be the hope from the government's point of view to be like, oh, they'll just take it, but it's actually Yeah, but really they're like, well, there's a lot of L's. When you actually look at the opportunity costs, it's like, okay, let's say it's a tough climate for a farmer to actually be 
producing and particularly the way that this is where I think it gets complicated because as climate change continues to happen, yeah. it's like it becomes the land, yeah, there's more crazy wind, rain, yeah. droughts, bushfires, etc. right? So like in that perspective, it's like you don't know that if we don't make this change now in the future, there might not be a farm to fucking work on. Yeah. The irony is, well, that the power lines could also make a fire happen. Well, so that was the other argument is that the whole there thing. has actually been examples of like bushfires starting off the back of a power line faulty power line creating a fire that then spreads into a bushfire the other thing is they're an eyesore they don't look great there's that then it's disrupting the nature is another conversation where it's like actually you're like this is fertile land yeah. for farming you're and now you're ripping it up to put a tower there so that we can't farm. And it's not just about like the farmer making their bag. It's like the knock-on effect of that is like the supply chain is impacted and then the hipster in the city can't get their organic vegetable yep. or they can't get their whatever milk or like, you know what I mean? So like there is a knock-on effect in that way. But then the other thing is the debate is really centered around like we would like this to happen for the sake of renewable energy, but put them underground is like a big part of the debate. Yeah, but the catch is. But the catch is it costs too much money. Mm-hmm. So then I I looked into what, what the actual cost is. So apparently it's 10 times more. It was a five. It was somewhere between five and 10 to put it underground in terms of cost, which let's really assess like the budgets. Where is that money going to come from? Are we like creating more debt? I don't know where the money yeah. comes from. I don't understand. So there's the debate on it's too expensive. Another debate that I read about was it's not that it's just too expensive to put them underground in the first place. It's actually they're more expensive to repair and more challenging to repair. Yeah. So that what they were saying is like whilst overground Which makes sense. Yeah. So like it's underground, you like assume it would be paying the ass. Well like basically another argument was like if they're underground and something goes wrong, you might find that now a town doesn't have power or wherever the place doesn't get power at all for a yeah. certain period. It costs more long term to then fix. So it's like already costing a lot and then yeah. it's going to keep costing. But then again there's so many arguments and it it is very complicated. This but like, is when it becomes truly a dilemma. Yeah, well, like, then the no... other thing is a lot of those, you know, the ones that you see that look like a samurai cat or whatever. Yeah, power lines. The power lines that exist that you know. The like, big, apparently. Those big, like, yeah. The big, yeah, it looks big like ones. a little, like, big pink panther or something. Yeah. But anyways, those, a lot of them are really old now. So the faultiness is not just like whether they're effective for power, but like in terms of their strength. So like there was a situation very recently, I think even last week, where a bunch of them had fallen over because of the wind. Yeah, so you're talking like actual strength of the yeah, of the, it, not like the strength of the power coming through. Not the power, the, physical, the actual like pro- infrastructure. Physical, yeah, collapsed. They've physical, collapsed yeah. in the wind. So like, Which is, I mean, when you see the wind gusts, you're like... Well, like another thing that we saw when we were driving through those parts where there was a lot of these like tin kind of like corrugated iron sheds that had been like look like the fucking Wizard of Oz. They'd like fallen over sideways and like yeah. plummeted into the ground. And I'm like... It really is like the elements out there. Are just- yeah. And like think about the elements even here. Like I remember the other day with the wind, I was like, oh my God, the laundry's going everywhere. Or you see the trees moving. And I'm like, when the wind is strong enough to like tip over an infrastructure, yeah. like that is dangerous. So I think that there's already like the trauma. You stand no chance against Mother Nature. Yeah. And this is the thing. So like I think that the arguments are valid in terms of not just about the not in my backyard because it's affecting me as an individual but like some of the arguments I was reading about were like we want this to happen but like there needs to be more planning before we implement this stuff because you need to consider all like I don't know what the solution is because it's like if they're already saying like these are going to be the challenges by just like constructing these things because in like 50 years what we're already seeing with them collapsing is a possibility yeah. we've already seen bushfires the solution is most most likely a bigger offer through negotiations another debate that's come up in retaliation to just going ahead with building them, even though you know what the 
risks are because I guess it's like the risks are what they are, potential bushfires, potential collapse, also like disrupting like land that is for agricultural purposes then it's like okay it's too expensive the big debate is it's too expensive to put them underground too expensive to maintain then the other argument is there's been promises made sustainable green goals that have been promised and they need to do it piss off signs there was also mention of the victorian premier labor and the national mp for green energy i think so it was double pronged fuck you labor fuck you government kind Mm. of but you know what's funny because when we went to Meredith last end of last year Dan Andrews was still in and I remember very vividly seeing a sign that said fuck off Dan stick those lines where the sun don't shine that's it see it rhymes that's why you remembered it yeah and I remembered it I was like the copywriting out here is quite excellent like I really gravitated I just like saying piss off so I thought piss off really stuck with me you know like obviously what the message is but you could really just change Osnet to whatever you want. You could leave the piss off there permanently embedded in the dirt. You tell me to piss off sometimes. Yeah. So I'm not saying <laughs> You're that. You're a piss baby. Yeah, I'm a little piss baby. So, you know, I think realistically, I was just like interesting to see because you see it on the news obviously and you're like oh if you're watching it on abc versus watching channel nine like there might be a slightly different take well depending on on the government of the day Mm. which currently is labor pretty much across the board the news is going to say basically be in the favor of the farmer they're going to say because the majority of australian news is anti-labor if liberal was in if peter dutton was in power or scott morrison this would be a very there'd be less sympathy for the farmer it's always geared towards the majority of the media especially the mainstream media is going to generally really favor whatever liberal wants basically so well like if, if even liberal when you wants think to about piss the, off the labor government it'll be yeah the farmers are so on the money with this one and then reverse that the farmers could easily be the enemy because then well not- yeah the other thing is when you think about the coalition in general it's like a split between the nationals and the liberals, the liberals yeah. but like the percentage of that party that is liberal versus national like the percentage skews liberal yeah also so- this week sidetrack the former nationals leader the Barnaby Joyce was found drunkenly lying on the ground in Canberra. That was crazy. So there's they've memed him. It's been memed. None of this is perfect. When we're on the road trip, anyways, I want to go into some of the other small towns that we've visited because obviously Dalesford, Dalesford's, you know, it's kind of like being in Melbourne. Like, you know, a weird way, it's almost like Byron or it's like being in like Northcote. Yeah. You know, like it's a lot of people that want a tree change have moved out there. It is a bit of a utopia. I love Dalesford. Like I remember going there as a kid to Hepburn Springs and stuff. So, you know, I was kind of seeking something else. Like I'm doing a lot of writing at the moment. I was like, I want to see some real stuff and I think driving through you know those passing towns and down those highways and seeing those stuff was really what I was trying to see like I think there's the journalism you know we're always doing this Joan and Hunter thing I wanted to see what was really happening in terms of like sentiment and just like you know just see the landscape i want to know like how what do these power lines look like it's not that we're just doing an investigative journalism drive down there but i I really find that fascinating but anyways we we stopped into a couple of other towns so we went past well where we saw like a lot of that stuff was like around the township of newland and then we did a drive through some of those areas and just kind of seeing like these really small interchanges where you're like i think that township only had like 150 people living there because it was basically just farmlands and then you know like the land was fast, but like the number of people living there was quite small. Yeah. But we went to a place called Clunes. So Clunes was interesting to me because they do like a festival there. It was one of the very first book towns 
in Australia. Right. So they have this festival that they do and that is like a big tourism moment. And I think it was actually a woman that lived in the city that like spotted this town and was like, you know, it was interesting because I was reading some of the real estate things being like, for people that couldn't get into Dalesford, there's a real opportunity here. And there was that kind of conversation, which was, you know, obviously we're in a time now where people can't really afford to buy houses and live the Australian dream or whatever. So there was that conversation. And then there was like, you know, the heritage-ness of it all. Well, what was promised on some of the Visit Victoria or Visit Melbourne type of websites were like, yeah, there's all these bookstores. I think we got there in the afternoon. It was also quite a hot day that like everything was already closed. Yeah, it did feel like a bit of a ghost town. It was a bit of a ghost town. Like there was some stuff open. Yeah, really. And like the other thing that they're quite famous for other than these two things where um, it's a big film location. So they actually had filmed some of Mad Max there and then also similarly the Ned Kelly movie with Heath Ledger mm. and a bunch of TV shows. So I think like the Picketing at Hanging Rock current Netflix show. Yeah. It's um, very cool actually in hindsight to think. It looked like a set. I think felt it was like, it was like a movie set looking town just in the middle of Victoria. It was pretty interesting. Well, it's interesting to be like movie sets are reflecting a heritage town. Yeah. So that was really interesting. And then basically there was really no one around. I was like, well, this is really like kind of almost eerie with like how like a lot of places were not open or they were like. Which I like. Off. I like not seeing any of these motherfuckers around. Yeah. Well, one what... hipster duo and I was like, that's enough. Oh yeah, the girlies were trying to find what we were trying to find, which was, <laughs> well, I think they were trying to find these bookstores that apparently exist. There was one bookstore that was open. Even the IGA looked closed. <laughs> what happened was we were dry. I was like, all right, let's, you were like, let's drive through a little bit. So we went past the caravan park and I was like, okay, we're here now. And then we actually ended up driving into where the sporting ground was. And that's where everyone was. Like, it was crazy. It was like, there was like really no one around, but then they were playing cricket. And then we... <laughs> We had to drive up and we couldn't reverse. So you had to like drive in further and all the cricket boys are there and they're like stopping and looking. Like they're turning around and being like, what's this card? I'm like putting the window down. You're like, pull it up, pull it up. So that was interesting to see like all the families and all the cricket boys, like just that's where they were. Yeah. And I also noticed actually another thing I noticed that they had the magpies there. So like their football code were like the mini magpies similar to Byron. Then another thing we saw, and I saw this as we went through a few different towns, is the outdoor pool. A lot of people at the outdoor pool. Yeah. That was a really popular... Artificial pool. Yeah, like a man-made pool, but like yeah, there like was... a proper like 50 lap doing laps. Yeah, yeah. Pool. And there was heaps of people at the outdoor pool. Yeah. And then the other one that I saw was the lawn bowls were popping. Yeah. Like all the oldies were at the lawn bowls and this was kind of reflective in all the little towns we stopped through. Clune was still quite pure, actually. I Like there was probably one cafe there that I thought maybe off the back of the Booktown Festival or whatever, was slightly more funk core, but still a bit rough around the edges in terms of like being more of an Edna establishment more than a Brad. We went through another town, Cresswick, which I actually really liked that town. It kind of was like... Or Cresswick. I don't know now. Cresswick. Cresswick is how it's Cres- spelled, but yeah. Cresswick. Cresswick. So that Anyways. felt like authentically, it didn't feel like it had been touched. It just felt like... Well, there was a little bit of that. Like it was some modern A little bit. Things. A little bit. There were some modern... There was, there was those museum. two stores. I saw some modern art. But yeah, it still felt very kind of rough around the edges. Which yeah, it felt pure in the way that like people just lived there. And a lot of the places we went past were like run by locals and locals were eating there and stuff. So it was kind of like, it wasn't a destination. It's like maybe people passed through, but it wasn't 
wasn't a destination. Like I definitely felt like the people that were passing through were like us on the way or currently staying in Dalesford and they were doing their farmer's market. And I always love to go to a little farmer's market. We do a lot of that in Byron. Markets are like the thing. That's the place to be. Like there's so many of them happening at all different weekends. But I like when the markets, they run them by the calendar of the first Sunday of every month or like the first Saturday of every month. Yeah. It's like a fixed but not fixed. Like Mm. it's fixed, but you'd never know what the exact date is. It's on you to know what date that is. Yeah. And in this month of February with a leap year, who knows? It's Mm. one of those rogue months months before we know it'll be march am i right so i've noticed and i don't actually know what they do but you know the lions club yeah not the football club but like the lions the rsl type of thing another excuse to commune another community company well no it's like they're everywhere though like every little town that i go to i see them i even saw one in brunswick the other day where they do the sausage sizzles and stuff i just think it's funny that all these startups and brands and companies and everyone's just trying to always emulate community and our family base and da, 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 da. and i'm like this shit's been going on for years in the real world everyone's just trying to the lions the church all this stuff it's like people are just trying to bring people together markets like everyone wants to bring people together and i'm like Reading these are about- the og bring people together places well i think if you really think about what a community is it's like a support network so like let's think about with the war community had to band together to like uphold the townships economy yeah because like soldiers are away so now the, yeah. the community needs to form let's say centered around the church or whatever it might be yeah. and it's just a nice thing to feel i think people just like to feel like they can talk to people and they're supported well it's also that idea i remember during covid there was that whole conversation about locality because you weren't allowed to leave the radius you really had to like be part of your community because you had no other choice it's like you could only go to the outdoor market farmer's market or whatever because you weren't allowed to leave or you had to go congregate at the park like henson park for us during covid was like we had no choice we had to see our neighbors because we're all at this park together the deep cut head out to the country guys see some shit with your real eyes like what is it like that realize 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 (laughs) true yeah i don't feel like it was a i'm not a changed man it's just a nice refresher and also i feel like it's a nice reset though and it broke up the routine and it just makes you you know it's something like packing a bag and just getting the fuck out just keeps you on your toes a little bit because that's what i feel like i needed and i would like to do it again soon well for me it's always about like seeing i feel like this when i go to the burbs you know like i just love the idea of like newness i love seeing places i haven't seen because like you're experiencing something new and that's always a great feeling but i think the other thing is i just love seeing the humans of a place yeah like i really like to see like how a system of like a community works where it's like yeah, you have and- yeah and it's also like you're changing your perception i think it's really easy to be like want to stay in your bubble and like just be like only around people like mirrors of yourself i really value like being in places like where you have to see the other side or you have to meet a human that maybe isn't exactly like you you know like even a generational gap in terms of age like when you talk to an older person and stuff it's like i like that you don't completely see eye to eye because it makes you feel three-dimensional and like a little bit of tension is okay like i'm not saying that it's going to convert me to be like i want to go move to a farm or change my value system or whatever it's more just like knowing that it exists is great because you don't want to just have like we're not ai guys we don't want to just like be robots in the cloud yeah, like I don't actually want to just live with my head in the cloud nice, and like yeah. be delusional, be delulu. <laughs> but yeah, you know, go touch some dirt, kiss a tree, <laughs> eat an onion raw, raw dog and onion. Do it. Knock on a stranger's door for some overpriced garlic. Feel the layers back with your teeth on that onion. Bite into life. I must stay. <laughs> Let's call that one back. Anyways, we'll speak to you soon. <laughs>